BridgeBank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to those committed to leveraging innovation to make the world a better place. BridgeBank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. BridgeBank, be bold, venture wisely. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. From KQED. Support for the California Report comes from Earth Justice, taking big polluters and the government to court, no matter who's in office. Earth Justice, because the Earth needs a good lawyer. Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose Fund for Strategic Innovation supports transformative ideas that benefit humanity while protecting the natural world, recognizing through science the interdependence of all living systems. And the James Irvine Foundation, committed to a California where all low-income workers have the power to advance economically. Learn more at Irvine.org. Today on the California Report magazine, our state is struggling with the worst homelessness crisis in living memory. Tens of thousands of people are living in vehicles, creek beds, and on the streets. Some of us will remind ourselves we're looking at people who are friends and family members of someone, somewhere. As much as I wanted to, to grab him and throw him in the car, I, I knew if we took him home, he'd be gone again. So that was the hardest decision I've ever had to make was to let him go. This Thanksgiving weekend, as we gather with loved ones, many of us can think of someone we know who is too close to homelessness or already lost to the streets. So we're revisiting a story from earlier this year about one woman looking to reconnect with her mom after she disappeared onto the streets 24 years ago. I'm not here to judge my mom, and... I'm not here to ask her any questions on why she didn't come home or where she's been because she has her own reasons. Robin Burton's made quite a few new friends during her search. That's because she launched a Facebook group called Missing and Homeless that now has more than 70,000 members. You know, they may be homeless to you all, but they're my friends. I'm Rachel Myro, sitting in for Sasha Coca. On today's magazine, one woman's mission to reunite families. Growing up, Robin Burton didn't really know much about her mother. I was never told that my mom was mentally ill. My grandparents raised me, her mom and dad, and my mom would come home for a couple months and she'd be gone for a couple years, and this was normal to me growing up. Robin was an adult by the time she learned her mom had been diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia. That finally answered questions unanswered when her mom was breezing in and out of her life. Like many kids who don't understand what they're looking at when they're looking at severe mental illness, little Robin came up with a story. I thought that she was living the life of the rich and famous and didn't have time for me. That was so far from the truth. That was a sadness she learned to live with early in life, 
But when Robin was in her 20s, she lost her mom in a new and different way. First, her grandparents died. Then, when her mom swung through town sometime around Christmas in 1994 and learned about their deaths, she left and didn't come back, ever. No warning, no explanation. And that left Robin with a whole new set of questions about her mom and about herself in relation to her mom. I am the daughter of missing Claudia Leslie Wells. I was 23 whenever she went missing, and I'm 48 years old now. Schizophrenia can be a debilitating disease. There's no known cure, although medications can help. Scientists do know schizophrenia affects people of every race, culture, and economic class. Common symptoms include delusions, social withdrawal, and an inability to cope with strong emotions. That's why you see so many homeless people with schizophrenia. It's hard for other people to connect with them and stay connected. As the years wore on, Robin hired a private investigator to find Claudia, though a lot of people told her to let it go. A lot of people tell her that now. You know, the question that I get asked a lot, and most families do that are looking for their missing loved ones that are living homeless, is maybe they don't want to be found. If she's still alive. But Robin won't give up on the hope that Claudia is still alive and that there might be some benefit to seeing her again. I'm not here to judge my mom, and I'm not here to ask her any questions on why she didn't come home or where she's been, because she has her own reasons. The only thing that I want to say to my mom whenever I find her is, I love you. And that that means more to me than anything else in the world, is just for her to hear those three words, I love you. The question is, how to find her? Robin lives in Collinsville, Illinois. Locals tell the rest of us it's near St. Louis. I work at GEICO. I'm an insurance agent, and I also bartend on the weekends. At a popular local watering hole called Artie and Tiny's. One evening, almost five years ago now, Robin was working at that bar. And it was a slow night, and I had a phone call from my private investigator, and he had told me that he doesn't know how he missed it, but my mom's social security number was used at a homeless shelter in 2013. A homeless shelter in Santa Monica, California, roughly 2,000 miles away. I didn't think a whole lot of it because I've been on wild goose chases before. And I just told the customer just for small talk about the phone call conversation. And unbeknownst to me, that customer went home and started Googling the web and Two days later, he called me on the phone and he said, Robin, I I need your email address. There's something I want you to look at. It was a 2014 article from the Los Angeles Times talking about the annual point-in-time count of the local homeless population. There was one photograph up top of a homeless woman on the street. You want to guess? I knew immediately that it was her. Because your eyes don't change. Your eyes don't change. Robin called up the L.A. Times, and the reporter put Robin in touch with the photographer. Turns out the photo was taken one year before the article was written. January 2013 in Santa Monica, California, the exact same place and area that my mom's Social Security number was um, used in the same year. And that was all the confirmation I needed because I already knew it was her. That tip was two years old, but Robin decided to chase it down anyway. She set up a GoFundMe page to get help paying for a rental car to get to California and for a motel room to stay in when she got there. 
The Collinsville woman is leaving for Los Angeles tomorrow, taking on a seemingly impossible search through some of the city's worst neighborhoods for her mother. A local Fox News outlet broadcast a setup story the night before Robin left for L.A. By then, Robin had talked with a police officer at the LAPD who told her Claudia had been sighted on L.A.'s Skid Row. As she told Fox, I'm not scared of Skid Row. That's not my biggest fear. My biggest fear is my mom not wanting to come back with me. All I know is I have to find her, and I got to let her know I love her. And no matter what the situation is, she has to know that. There has been a skid row in L.A. since the late 19th century. There have been attempts to clear out the poverty and crime from this square mile in the heart of downtown since the 1950s. But it's never looked as bad as it does in modern times. A tent city of roughly 4,000 people has sprung up on these sun-baked concrete sidewalks, crawling with rats and bedbugs, reeking with the smell of human urine and feces. Robin arrived in 2015, carrying a box of candy bars wrapped with her mom's picture. But she made a critical mistake. She brought along another TV camera crew, and people on the streets were not happy to see that or her. The very first day out there was very scary and emotional for me. I ended up, I broke down crying. I had to leave. I had to leave, and I had to go back to my motel and take a deep breath and reevaluate. Back in the motel room, Robin decided she needed to try again in a different way. Without the cameras, everything was so different, and it was actually the homeless that was helping me look for my mom. It was them that was telling me, you know, I wish I had somebody looking for me. You could imagine Robin's mom, Claudia, visiting a place like the Downtown Women's Center. Homeless and near-homeless women from all over Southern California come here looking for help for a range of problems. We serve about 4,000 women a year, and it's fairly infrequent that we see them reunify. It's really probably only about five a year. You can hear in the voice of Chief Programs Officer Erica Hartman a certain reticence, a certain exhaustion at the very idea of what sounds like a much-desired fairy tale ending. Usually at the point that they have come to Skid Row, they have really run out of other connections that they can turn to. And sometimes it's because they've really exhausted their relationships with people who are trying to support them or who have set boundaries due to substance use. Uh, Lots of women report experiencing shame around homelessness. Even with help, three weeks passed with no sign of Claudia. Some people told Robin they believed Claudia must be dead. Whatever the case, Robin needed to go back home and get back to work. I was very angry at God. How could you send me a picture after 20 years? How could I go out there and not find her? And it wasn't until I came home and I realized I'm not alone. There are other families just like me. That spring, Robin started a Facebook group called Missing and Homeless. The concept is simple. Post a person's story with enough details and photos in the hopes somebody in the group will recognize that missing person and help put them in touch with the family looking for them.
Here are some excerpts from a few recent posts. Have you seen Cody Bishop? Cody was last seen May 31st, 2019 in Las Vegas, Nevada. Cody's family is concerned for Cody's well-being. Los Cody Angeles Las County, Vegas California Sheriff's Department investigators from the Homicide Missing Persons Unit are asking for the public's assistance. Missing since April 11th, 2019 from Sullivan, Missouri. Betty has the beginning stages of dementia. Her daughter comes and picks Betty up on the weekends to spend time together. Have you seen Lenisha Whitefeather, nickname Echo, missing since July 8, 2019 from Portland, Oregon? Grand Ronde, tribal member, age 21, brown hair, brown eyes. Corey Daniel Abernathy, missing and last known to be living homeless in San Francisco, California, in January of 2017. Height, 5'9". Weight, 160 pounds. Hair, brown. He often changed his hairstyle. We've seen him with buzzed hair, long hair, medium hair, dreadlocks. He did it all. They're not a piece of garbage, you know. And like I, there's somebody's mother, there's somebody's son, there's somebody's sister. Robin says she functions like a reporter when a family contacts her for help. She presses them for more information. Where exactly did the person go missing? Are there any distinguishing characteristics like eye color or tattoos? Do they suffer from mental illness or addiction? The details make it easier to find somebody, but they also emotionally engage the Facebook group members, as opposed to, say, some generic post about a Jane Doe. I had no idea when I started Missing the Homeless what it was going to become and how many followers and supporters that we were going to have. And... And then we started finding people. The very first time that we found somebody, we found three people in one week. And I, was, I couldn't believe it. It's a miracle to find one, but we found three in one week. And four years later, we have probably found 70 or 80 people. She makes it sound easy, but it's been a lot of work for Robin and in education, too. It turns out a lot of the group's 70,000 members are homeless themselves, typically logging into Facebook at public libraries in part because they don't have any barriers precluding them from getting involved. Robin has had a number of frustrating conversations with health care providers and social service workers who won't say boo about someone friends and family are searching for. You can walk into a homeless shelter or a soup kitchen, and they will not tell you if they're there. My mom could be in the same building as me, and I would never even know it. I don't even know how to explain it. It's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking whenever you have a family member that is missing and living homeless, the lack of help that you get because of it. But there's a very big reason why most social workers and healthcare providers would not tell Robin if her mom was in a particular building. It's against federal law, specifically the Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act of 1996, HIPAA as most people call it, has a provision that protects the privacy of individuals' medical records and really every conceivable related fact like a person's presence in a facility. Erica Hartman of the Downtown Women's Center in L.A. says staff are happy to take a message and pass it on, but it's the homeless person's choice whether to connect, always, in part because they can't presume the best about people who say they're searching for a loved one. Then we have women who have been trafficked or abused or exploited by family members. Many of them don't list an emergency contact, or we have women who uh, pass and we don't know how to find a next of kin. In other words, many of these women have damn good reasons they don't want to be found. And Robin gets that. 
She's also seen enough to know some people are just too far gone into the abyss of mental illness or addiction or both. I had a lady that was looking for her son that was schizophrenic, and he was found after, after five or six years, and she didn't recognize him at first, you know, because the streets weather, you, you, you change drastically, and, and he didn't recognize her either, and he said, you're not my mom, and he's missing again. And so far, we've been presuming that the right homeless person has been correctly identified. Sometimes people eager to help say they've seen someone they actually haven't. And it happened to Robin just weeks after she returned home from Skid Row that first time. Someone in downtown L.A. called her to say Claudia was there. Robin bought a plane ticket, and she was sitting on that plane ahead of takeoff when she got another call saying the caller was mistaken. The timing was such that Robin flew to L.A. and back, an expensive, useless, and emotionally painful trip. Now, that wouldn't stop Robin from recommending families make every effort to file missing persons reports and take all the other recommended steps because the wins, when they happen, are so satisfying. You're listening to the California Report magazine. I'm Rachel Myro, and this Thanksgiving weekend, we're rebroadcasting a story I first reported last summer about how one woman's quest to find her homeless mother expanded into something much bigger. Corey Abernathy and his parents, Kathy and Robert, agreed to meet me on a bright, breezy day at one of his favorite haunts in San Francisco, Chrissy Field. When he was homeless, Corey used to camp out here in the Presidio, not far from where tourists whiz by on their rented bicycles and children eat ice cream while wearing fleece jackets, as you do in San Francisco during the summer. I think I just, like, I thought too much about life. Um, felt like a, a lot of pressure. Corey's 5'9", about 160 pounds, hair and beard close-cropped, his blue eyes twinkle in the sun. He looks like he's gotten a lot of sun in recent years, but nothing that seems out of the ordinary for an athletic white man in his early 30s. Corey was 28 when he decided to throw on a backpack one day and leave his parents' home in Willits in Mendocino County with no warning or explanation, though there were signs when the family looks back on it, that he wasn't happy, that he was drifting. Yeah, I just remember there's like a weird amount of anxiety on me. I always like try to like make sense of everything. But yeah, I just put like way too much pressure on myself and that wasn't like really there, I guess. Yeah, I mean, the way I dealt with it was, yeah, just drinking a lot. He'd struggled with anxiety since childhood. He didn't seem to have a strong idea for a career the way his older brother had. He dropped out of Sacramento State almost as soon as he got there lost a job in retail, then switched to a local casino. But there he was surrounded by alcohol, and the consequences were predictable. Corey started reading about people who dropped out of society for a different kind of life. Yeah, so, I mean, it wasn't like one single moment. It was was something I was, like, thinking about for probably, like, a year. Then Corey got a DUI, something he was really ashamed about. And he thought if he had no money, he wouldn't be able to buy alcohol. And if he had nothing to worry about, he wouldn't want to buy alcohol. My car got towed, and then I just said, I'm done. And at the time, it was a good feeling. I mean, I was like, yeah, I don't have to 
deal with like problems that like I can't figure out anymore. But remember, he was living with his parents at the time, and when he walked out that front door, he left no note, no explanation. His mom, Kathy, is a registered nurse. His dad, Robert, is a retired custom cabinet maker. Got home and the house was empty. I mean, to me, it looked like he just walked out the door to go for a walk. Everything was still in his room, nothing disturbed. Um, He just disappeared. Robert sounds calm now, but he and Kathy were beside themselves at the time. They called the police and filed a missing persons report, only to discover the police in Mendocino County have a loose attitude about adults who disappear, given the local marijuana growing industry's reliance on seasonal workers. In this business, pruning is called trimming, and many of the trimmers come and go. Well, yeah, pretty much in Mendocino County, Sonoma County, it's if an if adult is missing, they're out trimming. And it was um, October, and it was trimming season, and that was just that's what he's done, you know. And yeah, they took the report, but they weren't doing anything at all with it. So Robert and Kathy had to start looking on their own. Corey's friends helped. A former workmate tacking up a poster in Ukiah met a homeless person who directed them to Fort Bragg, where Robert and Kathy found Corey in a park about six weeks after he disappeared. But Corey wouldn't come back. I don't know. I, I wasn't ready to see them, I guess. I gave everything up, you know, it was like, I don't know if I'm ever going to, like, you know, have a room again, I don't know if I'm ever going to have a relationship again, you know, like, that was, like, the one thing I remember thinking was, I, like, distinctively classified myself, you know, aside from society. As much as I wanted to to grab him and throw him in the car, I, I knew if we took him home, he'd be gone again, so that was the hardest decision I've ever had to make was to let him go. So they did, and Corey kept hitchhiking to Point Arena, Gualala, and finally San Francisco, where he proceeded to bounce from sleeping rough in the Presidio to side streets and shelters, sporadically sending his parents Facebook messages from public libraries until he stopped doing that. The last one was in February of 2016. I immediately, I immediately felt like, re- like regret and like, um, like guilt. I knew, like, immediately, like, I was going to have to, like, you know, figure out a way to be able to speak to them again um, and, yeah, apologize. Every now and then, Robert and Kathy would get a lead and take off to follow it, only to find it mistaken, often from somebody overcome with wishful thinking. A lot of guys on the street look like Corey. Okay, he's here, he's in Yuba City, he's in Sacramento, he's in Manteca, um, Denver, I mean, you name it, he was there. Weeks turned into months and then years. Corey's last messages came from San Francisco, so Robert and Kathy drove south repeatedly to scour the city's tenderloin on foot. Well, he could be on the next block over, head the opposite direction, and we'd never know it. You know, there, there were days where we'd walk 20, 25 miles. The night before Corey left his parents' home in Willits, Kathy started having this recurring dream, nightmare, really. In it, she keeps getting woken up by her nephew, Bobby, who committed suicide in 2010. It's like he was a contact from the underworld, trying to tell her something about her son. And he'd wake me up that we got to get going. And before he'd wake me, it was like I was on the hard ground, I was cold, I wasn't safe, I had to get moving. That, you know, we had to get moving. 
and this happened a lot, you know, and then it stopped. Kathy had two theories about what happened to Corey. Maybe, you know, he's getting his life together or he wasn't, you know, on this earth anymore. You know, it was one of the two. As it happened, this was right around the time Corey was ready for rehab. He got involved with Alcoholics Anonymous. He got into a sober living facility, but he didn't reconnect with his parents. And two years passed. And that's when, early this year, one of Corey's old workmates posted on Missing and Homeless. And someone Corey lives with recognized him and told Corey, and Corey called home. And I don't even remember the drive down here. You know, we sat down and, and he talked about why some of the things that made him leave and, and him realizing that, that, you know, the DUI, everybody gets one and there's nothing to run from, but this is something he's been thinking about and it's something he needed to finish. And it's like, he's part of our family. And as I told him, he's going to be my son forever, no matter what. I still love him. Corey now lives in a sober living facility in San Francisco where he's a coach helping others stay sober. Robert and Kathy are looking to sell the house in Willits. Too many painful memories, but they come down periodically to visit Corey. They're still tender with each other, sensitive around each other. You see the homeless, you hear about people missing family, and that's supposed to happen to other people. It's not supposed to happen to you. With Corey missing, I am much, much, much more aware of how much it's happening everywhere. Man, this is, it's, it, this is an epidemic. Corey doesn't have a strong answer as to why he didn't call his parents before a prompt from that acquaintance who spotted him on Missing and Homeless. What Corey can say is that he was ready when he got the nudge. And that's the kind of story Robin Burton lives for. A lot of homeless are afraid to contact their family because they don't know if they're going to be turned away. Some, you know, it's just they've been gone for so long, they don't even know what to say to families anymore. Those are our miracle stories. So there was a reason that he was supposed to be found, and there was closure. The search for Claudia has morphed into something else for Robin. She's found a mission, a purpose in life, as a guide for others in need. The story about Robin's search for her mom has become an invitation for people to trust her. The same people have probably heard a thousand times, well, now they're coming to me and asking for help, and we're finding their families. Now, that's not to say there haven't been personal wins for Robin, too. She never knew who her father was, but this year she found him. She was told as a kid that her mom got pregnant at 17, had her at 18, but her grandparents didn't know who her father was. Well, recently she took a DNA test, and it led to Kansas and her 71-year-old dad. He doesn't profess to remember Claudia, but he's met Robin in person, and now they email four or five times a week. Back in the summer, Robin uploaded a video asking for help sifting through requests to post on Missing and Homeless. She's always had help from a handful of other volunteer administrators, but at that moment, she was running the page all by herself. One of my administrators just had a baby um, here in February, and She's really concentrating on her family. Another administrator is getting ready to get married. However, I have been the only one posting on Missing Homeless for the last couple months. And I'm drowning. <laughs> and uh, Missing Homeless is my heart. And I'm not going to let this page die. 
Robin's looking for some new administrators, and this heartfelt video recorded on her phone may have done the trick, as she's already sorting through 50 replies from people offering to help her. She also wants families on the hunt for loved ones to know she's running behind, but she's still running. Don't ever give up. My mom's been missing 24 years, and I'm not giving up. She's out there living homeless somewhere. Maybe she's in housing now. But she's alive and she's out there, and I, I believe that with all my heart. God don't send you a picture after 20 years of her living on the streets. She's alive. Don't give up hope, guys. Let's find our loved ones. Robin's got a new lead for Claudia, by the way, from someone in San Francisco who thought they saw her back in June. She would be 66 years old now. White woman, round face that's probably slouched somewhat with age, presumed shoulder-length gray hair, might still answer to the name of Claudia or Leslie or Diane or some other name we don't know about yet. That is the California Report magazine. If you want to see photos of Robin and Claudia and Corey, check out our website, californiareport.org. Our technical producer is Seal Muller. Our director is Susie Racho. This story was edited by Victoria Maulion. The editorial team also includes Vinnie Tong, Ethan Lindsay, and Holly Kernan. I'm Rachel Myro. Sasha Coco will be back next week. This is the California Report magazine. Your state, your stories. Support for the California Report comes from the California Healthcare Foundation, presenting Trade-Offs, a new podcast that tries to make sense of our costly and complicated healthcare system. Subscriptions at tradeoffs.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose Fund for Strategic Innovation supports transformative ideas that benefit humanity while protecting the natural world, recognizing through science the interdependence of all living systems. And the James Irvine Foundation, committed to a California where all low-income workers have the power to advance economically. Learn more at irvine.org. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Hi there, I'm Randa Dilfetah from Throughline. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org podcast.